This is Shaka Wart Speak. Gosh. Is this where we start? Yep. <laughs> is this where we start this? Hey, welcome to Shaka Wart Speak. It's that Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> well, hey, uh, welcome back, folks. We're here for another installment of Shaka Wart Speak. As always, it's me, Gareth, and I'm here with Ryan. Um, so we are bringing a second part to that really big question that we had from a listener the other week. Um, we started off with this idea of navigating opportunities, especially in a tumultuous space like we have now amid uh, you know coronavirus and and how are we going to reopen things and whatnot. So we're trying to reframe and make sure that everybody realizes that these may be problems, but as uh, creative people, as makers, we can look at them as opportunities. Mm-hmm. So the first episode, we really kind of unpacked what do those opportunities look like in terms of how do we interact with different people, different kind of uh, categories. So we talked about you know clients and donors and patrons and collectors. Um, well, this this time what we're going to talk about is actually going to the larger question I think all of the that this was leading towards, which was like, how do you actually produce a good body of work? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? And before we can talk about the whole body of work, I think we have to dial that down just a little bit more, Ryan, right? I mean, yeah. So we, we hit at what, one. you know, just some of the mindset of like, you know, in the last episode, like a good body of work is typically determined by the audience that receives it more yeah. than you yourself. But in the heart of the question, we're trying to figure out too, though, like what, what kinds of prior to making categories can we have that can set us into a stronger direction so so there is there is a responsibility or um a enjoyable or exciting or enriching aspect to being an artist whether you think about it or not you feel it you experience it and um and so you know in in these discussions i feel like there's still an opportunity to kind of like zero in to like what makes a solid work yeah, you know, or a, or quote unquote a good work, you know, without so like what are some good uh, categories of thought to recognize? So a lot of times, um, the stuff that I'm going to lay out, I guess, that I think about is the kind of thing you recognize in a work. You don't necessarily go, okay, now I'm doing this, right? But as you study work, as you look at masterworks or as you look at uh, people you like in galleries or friends work in a studio, you're doing studio visits or you're pausing and looking at your work, you're starting to see these things. So, so it's not like you're thinking this as you're working, but I do think these are good, helpful categories to, to sort of uh, think through what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and, and I think this is yeah. helpful because in the original question, I think some of the, uh, the difficulty uh, that the the artist was struggling with is if if what they're wanting is not necessarily the the kind of thing or subject I'm always used to making. How do I make sure that it's still a good body of work that's representational of what yeah. I do? Yeah. Um, so there's uh, almost a question of like, how do I make my work cohesive? Mm-hmm. Even if somebody might look at it and say, this doesn't feel like it all fits together. Yeah. What are the underpinnings yeah, yeah. to and make so it cohesive? And so a lot of that is like micro, macro, telescopic, microscopic. And, you know, uh, sometimes some of the, I think some of the loose principles, of course, there's a million ways to do things. So I'm just going to talk about some real common loose principles and, yeah. and ways that uh, work together to mutually support a reasonable outcome that you mm-hmm. might be excited about or resonates with you. And uh, so a couple of the categories like you, so 
um, one way to preface this is to say that when you look at a human body, you have all the different systems, right? You have the mm-hmm. nervous system, skeletal system, muscular system, um, the you know your vital organs. Like there's all these things that are operative together. That's the best way to understand a body in a first order sense. But if we're practicing medicine and we're trying to obtain to preemptive knowledge that would enable us to treat a body, mm-hmm. we tend to isolate the system. So we have people that look at just the the, the skeletal structure and you have to understand it in part to then put it back together and understand it in whole. Does and that make sense? Yeah, because it's based completely up. You have to do that because of the the, the complexity of the totally. thing you're looking at. And you can't fully study a live body uh, without injury. Mm-hmm. So we do examine pokes, post pokes, post-mortem uh, in order to... Uh, gain a better understanding of how these parts relate to each other, and mm-hmm. and then and then we can observe it, you know, operatively in in terms of um, a living person, or whatever. And that information then uh, continues to build and and anticipate new ways of uh, flourishing a human being in, term, in terms of their health and wealth and so on. And so that idea is as helpful as a reference point for talking about a work of art because it's comprised of many parts, but the parts are typically all together and hard to see as separate. Um, in actuality, mm-hmm. but in thinking about it, we want to fight for clarity because yeah. of, so there's an intensity in thinking about it that uh, uh, allows you to see it more discernibly when it's harder to see it because it's harder to see it than think about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a discrepancy there. And so sometimes people don't translate that fact. And so when they hear it spoken clearly, they expect to see it clearly. But that's not the case. The, 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 clear, the clearer the thoughts are, they, the more ingrained and intuitive they are, the more then you discern it intuitively. And so there's a way it has to get in in order to actually be seen or obtained to. And so there's a delay, there's a, there's a shift in how that's understood. And so we want to talk about it clearly, knowing that it's not always as clear. And that's part of the, the enjoyment of looking at art, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, or making it is, is the way in which these things get cooked in or embedded in and then discovered or uh, uh, not at all, you know, to mm-hmm. where it's almost uh, hermetically so like you can't see anything but what is uh, plainly in front of you. And that's fascinating. So these are principles, like, so a couple of things that I think are real commonplace, but I think worth visiting would be in the category of like, um, you take a work, let's say a painting, mm-hmm. you have your composition, okay. uh, you have your um, mechanics, your dynamics, uh, your effects, your affects, and your aesthetics. And so I put them in that order because they flow into each other from your base layer uh, you know, out to what, what appears to be the final expression, I guess. And so this is like you know, stuff that um, I think can sound very like entry level, but it's worth talking about a little bit and it's worth understanding that you kind of don't get past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter how uh, incredible you are, these things will just be more fully on display or more nuanced in their uh, manner of expression. And, um, you know, you, you, you don't, when you determine to make a painting, let's say, or, you know, even an installation, but I'll just, I'm just going to stay with painting because, you know, just uh, as a, and, and substitute in what you do, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if you're a sculptor, if you're, and then try to think about it in those terms. But um, you, you just can't get past it. You never, you, it's never beyond you, like those things. It's part and parcel to being a maker of this kind. Yeah. 
I mean, so, that makes sense because, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're giving these categories and I'm thinking about even the way I was taught design. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of with these layers. Mm-hmm. Right, so you, you come in and like, you know, the, the basic kind of rudimentary knowledge of manipulating whatever tools you have mm-hmm. kind of becomes a first step. You know, yep. make sure you're holding this right or clicking this thing or doing totally. that. You know, all those basics are there. Um, but the, the first class that I ever had in design was only about composition. Right. That's right. it. Yeah. Um, it didn't deal with anything else. Yeah. So part of the problem for me in the way composition has been taught, at least in, in my surroundings, or is sometimes composition is taught in terms of the strategy mm. prior to understanding what composition is in general. So yeah. one of the things I like to do is speak in general and then examine how particulars reflect the general statement. So within uh, within this idea of composition, are you... So you're not talking about the strategic, then are you talking more of the structural? I would, um, or is it kind of both? Yeah, I would say composition by definition is necessarily structural of whatever kind it is. Like, okay. so, so if you said composition is the manner with which things are arranged across the surface of mm-hmm. something, yeah, or the manner with which they're placed, the intent, I would even go the intended manner with which they're placed. So if you're like, I intend to be gestural and accidental, okay, well, that's still intentional. So you right. can't get away from it. If you if you're like I intend to pour this and I like to just see what happens, well, you're pouring from a certain direction and you're allowing gravity to play, which means you know which direction things are going. You're never really fully removed, Jackson Pollock, mm-hmm. from actually orchestrating the painting, yeah. no matter how hard you try. Right. So um, you have different levels of control in terms of how much your hand is at play and how much the material follows from your hand, but you're composing, you're you're um, arranging. Uh, that which is the the case in such a way that that starts to serve as kind of the framework, right? right? Or the mm-hmm. structure. So the the question of structure becomes: is it is it items? Is it color? Is it tone? Is it form? Um, and and those are all subjective possibilities that are predicated on an actual thing. So so talking about it in general only helps until you look at specific instances, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, getting this down in general. So it's it's the intended way in which the parts are are relatably displayed on a surface on the canvas of the panel. Now let me let me kind of I don't know if this is pushing back or just looking for clarity, but um, like within this, uh, if we do not kind of stop and examine these categories, if we just assume we know how to make, so we just go make yeah. and just not worry about it. Um, uh, are there elements of composition that we might be um, engaging in over and over again and not even realize yeah, that are you, at the detriment of our work. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, so that gets into like the strategies, right? Like the, the, in the realm of composition, there's only really a few strategies mm-hmm. against a two dimensional plane. I mean, you can get into like, I think science is press into dimensions that, that um, as we can image or project images through those dimensions, I'm sure you get, really complex scenarios, but, but you're talking about like something way outside the typical studio practice. Right. So on average, if you're a painter, let's say, you know, or a muralist, like there's really only so many, you know, there's the, you know, there's the rule of thirds. There's like, there's these things you can do that, that have certain repeatability to them that mm-hmm. you either are doing intentionally or you've, you've grabbed ownership over. So you're like, I mean for this to be the organizational way in which the parts relate to each other. Um, or you have just intuitive defaults, you know, mm-hmm. so you tend to push everything to the sides of the center. You tend to work in a pyramidal composition or, or, a, uh, was, was it the, um, golden rule, mm-hmm. you know, the spiral, like these are all strategies that, um, come 
after this general notion of what a composition is. There are all particular ways in which this general statement is, is held or reinforced as true. Um, but before you even get to that, just the general idea that it, there's intention, uh, there's parts, there's, there's uh, a structure, there's a, a way in which this is, this is on the page. And I have greater or lesser intention there. Um, and so this is the trick of the conversation is as soon as you speak it, it starts to already want to bleed into the next part. Yeah. The, the hard part is holding it, holding it separate to just get that, that as an, a well understood fact that you're always composing. You, 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 so you, you don't necessarily always want to be a, 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 a bystander to an ignorance at that first step. Mm-hmm. Um, the first move you make on a, on, on like a panel or a painting is going to set the composition in motion because it's going to determine the next move, the next move. So right away, everything is operative. Everything is happening. You can't, you, you, it's not like 10 hundred moves and then you start painting. It's like the first thing you do, it doesn't have to be weighty. It doesn't have to be stressful, but it actually is already doing something. Yeah. So, um, you know, I tend to have, you know, anecdotally, I tend to have good, I have, uh, tend to when I make something I have a decent idea of what I what I want to do compositionally mm-hmm. so but prior to ever doing anything I, I have a thought about uh, where the emphasis of the parts will start and how that will affect and move your eye right away like I have a, a decent field of perception before I tend to make most of the time and um, I mean I, w- I would say that that what you're talking about it seems to me um, has something to do with the fact that you understand these categories in their entirety Right. So you're not just understanding, oh, I want it to be here for arbitrary reasons, but I right. want it to be here for reasons that we might talk about later. That's right. Yeah. So then you're so so of course we don't come to composition as it, as it relates to a painter without actually looking at a lot of compositions and a lot of historical reasoning for it and, and uh, uh, studied you know looked at a lot of painting um, with the intentions of of looking at this assertively, not passively. So meaning I'm looking for it. I'm not actually just going, what do I get out of this? I'm, I'm assuming there's things to get and I'm going after it. Yeah. Totally different mindset, actually. Yeah, yeah. One is very passive, the other is assertive. So when I'm looking at work, I'm looking for what's happening. I'm mm-hmm. looking for where it is, why it is, and, and how that resonates with me. Now, sometimes if I'm going into a museum or a gallery, I, I'm going there as a passive observer because that's the experience I want. I don't want to have to overthink it. I just want to take it in and that, that's sort of a choice that I'm making. But, um, but I can't, I can't really turn that part of my eyes off. So I'm always noticing things. It's just a question of how much I want to put towards it. Yeah. But that's a cultivated experience of making and doing and looking and thinking with people and really being in the studio with other people. And because you can't do it by yourself. I was going to say, it, this, this does not sound like something that's just straight up intuitive. It's not going to just no. be acquired because you're a maker. Um, I feel like this, this requires others to kind of like uh, push and lead yep. in some ways. Um, if you want to use those words uh, yeah. to not mentor. It's know, hard. Yeah. It's hard things. to do it by yourself. I mean, it, it just is. It's just, I, I, I didn't do it by myself. I don't do it by myself. Like I haven't learned it. Um, I have enough behind me to do some, but it's like, uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get this. Like if I wasn't in a community that had, had sort of, uh, brought these desires about in me to, to say, okay, I want to understand this better. So you have composition, mm-hmm. composition leads into what I would call mechanics. So like when you think in, in some of these are, di- I mean, you know, take them or leave them. But, uh, when we think about, um, the mechanics of something, um, the way I like to say it is it's the particular manner 
of the parts that are composed, mm-hmm. the manner with which they're expressed, their their shape, their form, their intricacies, um, and the way in which they they play off each other, right? So they activate each other. So like if you look at a watch, the gears are such that the goal is to tell time. And so the gears have a correspondence to each other and they have their manner in, in the way in which they are in part. And then when they come together, you can, you can perceive the relationship, whether they're actually relating or not. Like you can start to see how they, how they fit together, how they, how they jive. You can almost start to play out how this works to, to pace time in a measured way. And, you know, so when you look at a painting, you know, um, the parts have sort of like their mechanics, like what is it predicated on? Like the, the exactness of what is expressed in the manner that it is will give you a look, a feel. Um, and you can start to see it in a, in a, in a, in a solid painting, you'll see it. You'll see the, uh, um, even if it's a disparate painting, it'll be, it'll be solved with interesting mechanics that hold the disparate parts together at a level that you may or may not be able to perceive directly, yeah. you know, almost like, almost like a, um, a special effect. Uh, can you, yeah. can you kind of go a little bit more, um, uh, like I'm, I'm following you, mm-hmm. but if you could go like, like extremely practical with like an example of what mechanics might, how, how I might parse that from something else. Okay. So let's just use, I can't believe I'm using Jackson Pollock, but I, I was made a joke about him, you know, so take Jackson Pollock's autumn paintings, right? Autumn, yeah. r- what, I forget, autumn rhythms or, those paintings in part are um, uh, paint splatters of a certain kind. They're mm-hmm. thin. They're, um, they're rarely sharp angles. So when you look at all the parts, they tend to have a way in which the uh, paint splatters, but in control, like he wasn't dipping the paint into like thick bats of paint always. They were like thin slashes that laid down thin splatters. So there's a thinness and a roundedness at the tip and a roundness across the, the cross contour of the, of the paint drips. And then there's like, you know, uh, estimated trajectories to the range of drips, right? So some are two inches, three inches, four inches, but they're all kind of accordant with each other. So when you look at the painting, the mechanics all center on that kind of behavior of the paint. And so you can see how they start to relate to each other in that way. Now, if you saw a Jackson Pollock painting and I painted a big square on it in a big circle, those are two different kinds of um, mechanics or, right. or there's a, uh, you know, like, like when you look at a car, like the mechanics of a car, like you can kind of see the logic of the car intuitively, even if you don't know what it's going to do. Same with the painting um, yeah. or, or if I threw an image in there, right? Well, the image has its own in, interiority that necessitates um, a set of angles, a set of forms, a set of values to get to the place where the image reads as a person. Um, those conditions, uh, the conditions of the, the, the pieces or the, 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 the mechanics, the, the particular manner of the parts that can be perceived in that face may not have as much accordance with the field of the painting of a Pollock, right? So as you're parsing that out, you're starting to parse these things out and then you're looking at how they're different. Mm. And the question is, how could you bridge them together? You know, is there some kind of, uh, um, catalytic bridge form that hides itself enough to support these two points or is it just a full pastiche collision is it a juxtaposition and so on like all of these things starts to starts to break down and of course there's more to this that we have to kind of like sort of bleed into Mm -hmm. but um it's the exact manner of the given parts if you will and the way they relate to each other that makes sense yeah 
and again, whenever I teach this stuff, I do it this way first and then we go look at stuff. So then you go, oh, I see it here. Okay, so now we're talking and it's like, right, we're talking about, you know, uh, composition, not the mechanics, right? Because you could have a great composition, terrible mechanics, Mm -hmm. poorly painted forms. They don't, they're not working. They're not doing anything or what you, you think they're doing. That doesn't mean the composition sucks. It just means your mechanics suck. Yeah. And I don't mean my, by mechanics, I mean the mechanics of the painting, not you, the mechanic or the mechanics of your instrument. Although those are uh, things to consider mm-hmm. um, in this equation. Like, are you, uh, you know, are you handling the paint well? Like, are you, you know, do you need to work on your skill sets? Like, to uh, your sense of touch, the, the understanding of the brushes you're using or, you know, the made up tools you're using. So your mechanics moves into dynamics and the way dynamics work is it's it's the mechanics operative it's the mechanics and operation so it's where how does a composition organize in such a way that it force acts on another mm-hmm. dynamically so so force acts on another the dynamics is do the parts in their manner do anything mm-hmm. right do they do anything and if they do something what do they do and this is like, you know, you can read Hoff, Han, Hans Hoffman stuff on push-pull, like the plasticity of paint. Um, you know, is, is it, you know, some people will just think it's purely conceptual. Well, it's all in the idea and the manner with which the idea is delivered, almost like a text. But I'm saying in terms of, um, you know, there's a force here in the, this, the corner of this painting that pushes the space back and opens up uh uh, room for the other parts to start to uh, organize around the force of this organizing moment, kind of like the way I strike a piano key and it force acting on another produces something. So the force of one form or one one uh, deal acting on another, and it's another way of saying the mechanics in operation, the car turned on, if you will. So the, uh, assuming the painting is a dynamic state, not a static one, and you start to see it happen and what that produces so these are where these are really tight together is effects so then you get into like what's the effect of this force acting on another um you know is it flattening is it volumizing is it uh uh is it tense is it um is it you know is it like a fierce intensity like is it uh is it a mute sound is it inertia you know sometimes you make a dynamic painting to arrive at a moment of real inertia which is a strange phenomenon so what, what is the effect of the phenomena that's occurring as a result of these things happening together? Um, and that's when painting becomes really interesting. And the reason for looking for these things is it buys you time to acquaint yourself with the work through the use of language. So you start to observe in uh, a greater detail uh, what the painting's doing, not whether you like it or not. Mm. It, it deepens your appreciation of the work. Um, and so effects produce affects. Affects are about you. Mm-hmm. I'm affected this way. I'm yawning and I don't care. Doesn't mean the painting's bad. That's just your affected response. Like I'm, I'm, that's how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Or you're like, I'm gripped. And now I'm looking more intensely and everything is starting to, my understanding of what I'm seeing is shifting. And, and now the space is, is far more opened up or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm having whatever kind of resounding or resonating experience that I may have or um, I'm, I'm intrigued or you know, uh, I have questions. I mean, like that, that's how you're affected, whether you're cognizant of even all this stuff or not. That's the interesting thing is you're affected even if you, you have none of these other categories, but as a maker, you should be aware of that because you may 
you may have a work that has decent mechanics, but the, the, the way in which they're composed means there's no um, uh, uh, dynamism to it. Therefore, there's no effects or the effects are counter to what you'd hope for. So, mm. you know, the forehead's flattening and the nose is going the opposite direction. The shape is there, you know, um, but you're, you're, mis, you're mispainting something. You're not rendering form well. You're not seeing how the head relates to the feel of the painting or... I don't know. I mean, in, any number of things like the building you painted next to the sky uh, is more translucent than the sky, such that the sky now appears to be opaque and forward to the composition in a way that means the sky is operating more solidly than the building. And that's not what you want. So image wise, it's all there. But in terms of paint handling, uh, the effects are operating counter to your intentions. And so it's like it's important to know this because you want to isolate in critiques these kinds of things, mm -hmm. you know, you want to be able to like parse this out and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to a composition, to a painting, to a thing someone made. Right. Is there an, an internal uh, consistency to this? Is there an internal logic? And to what extent does it hold as such? Those are really good questions to ask. Um, and, um, and so I, you know, the aesthetic part is like a 10 part series, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of it, uh, kind of emerging, Thoughts on aesthetics. My supposition is that aesthetic, the world is necessarily aesthetic, therefore everything is. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes the manner or particular way in which it is, which folds you back into the effects and how you're affected. So um, aesthetics for me are mediatorial to the way in which we experience stuff. It mediates our experiences. The dry wood makes me feel dry. Mm -hmm. The wet sand makes me feel like you, they have yeah. effects, right? I'm affected because of the effects. And, and I think that the world is dynamic, therefore. So a lot of what I'm pulling from, for me, flows out of the fact that I think the world is sort of inherently this way. And so then it, 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 it follows that if it's inherently this way, you're not fabricating this. It's a fact that you're wielding into uh, uh, morsels i.e. paintings or sculptures or works of art that have a particularity to them that, that uh, poetically do something for another person, right? So, but you're working out of a, an abundance, not out of nothing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's not out of chaos. It's right. actually out of order. Mm -hmm. um, we are, tend to be the chaotic ones, <laughs> meaning we're kind of like disordered and so we don't know how to, that. but I think the world's le far less chaos than, than in, in some ways than we think, uh, which is a contentious point I just made, but so then you get your aesthetics, mm -hmm. which really is the sum total of everything I just said prior to that in the exact way that it is. So it's the way in which the mechanics and the dynamics and the effects are as they are such that I see it in whole and I experience it as such. It's the final look. Mm -hmm. It's the summation. And in, in it being the final look of something, the final appearance, it's the first thing I see. So it happens essentially last but it's the first thing I see. Yeah. It's like the setting on a house. That's right. It's the last thing on. Mm -hmm. And the other aesthetics in there have their effect. Like, so if you build a concrete house mm -hmm. and you put some stuff on there, there's a little bit of a difference. Stuff yeah. doesn't give the same way. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to really pick it up, but it's there if you're, if you're sensitive. The difference is like the difference between a tight drum and a loose drum. Mm -hmm. On site, you may not be able to see it necessarily, but you might. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you can. It's, it's, it's about a subtlety. And it's all these contributing factors coming together to comprise the whole, whatever that whole is. 
whatever that is, you know? And then the style really follows from, like I said, last episode, it's like, that's your, that might be you bending your mechanics and your palate and, and these things into pre-existing categories that are established as such to where it's repeatable enough that people recognize it as that. And so you have your large kind of external to you uh, stylistic categories or genres. I mean, so it's like style could fit into genre. They can be synonymous or they can be complementary or even different where you're like genre pushing through new style. But um, uh, style tends to be at, at some level just like the result of your hand in the way that it is. So the, the final way that I like drag the brush when I put the finishing touches on the painting is like the sum is it's like echoing everything that's embedded all the way through in my hand and it reinforces that so then there's a a, a totality to the work and i have the gestalt experience and what if i'm compelled i may i may peer in or not mm. and um but the style and the aesthetic are not the same thing but they hang out really closely together as far as uh the things that you see initially and they focus you into um all this other stuff. And if it's done well, it'll keep giving into more reinforcement. It'll, you know, it'll, or it'll give into the thesis of the painting. Yeah. The painting painting is setting up one expectation and collapsing into another, which was the real point or, you know, or whatever it is, right? Like, I mean, it could be as, as numerous as the person, but the interesting thing is you're never really getting out from under these categories. You're always working with these categories, whether you know it or not. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And, and when I, when I think of uh, work, I've seen that, feels to be the most like uninspired or uninspiring or I just don't care to really interact with it. Uh, it, 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 it always kind of comes across as something that, that prioritizes the aesthetic or style mm -hmm. above the other things, mm -hmm. almost like the cart in front of the horse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, That's exactly it, it, right. It sounds very much like what you're saying is these things, uh, the, the they build their foundational. Mm -hmm. So, so it, like it, a house, it, it is harder to see, Maybe it's harder for you to see in your work, like and parse your composition because mm -hmm. it's like the foundation of the house. It's behind so many other layers that yeah. it might be hard for you to just yep. look and say, "Oh, there it is." Right, right. But through training, you can pick it out. Yeah, uh, yeah through yeah. through the sort of discipline and and yeah. going back to that same well to drink, you can look at this and 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 I'm, I don't know. You stop me if I'm going too far with this, but. Um, it seems almost like this this is the stage where we are really needing to sort of switch lanes uh, in some ways. Uh, so we come through art school and a, a lot of art schools will focus a lot on, you know, uh, skill and technique, mm -hmm. right, um, and get you to make something. And I think a lot of students that I talk to in school or right out of school, they will say things like, well, I know how to do all this stuff. I don't know why it's not clicking. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a time where these categories become very helpful for us mm -hmm. to be self learners and self teachers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can tell you work. what I just told you, to be honest with you, to my knowledge is not being taught where we, where we teach. It's like, for myself. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I know that, um, places I have taught in the past, those sort of, and in, in, in within graphic design, which I think is even, you know, it, it's, it's appalling, uh, within those spaces that have traditionally had courses that have been called things like, composition mm -hmm. um it's not being taught mm -hmm. in the same way either mm -hmm. i mean i can think of uh, places within universities where there are three or four units that are teaching roughly the same things mm -hmm. where there is not a single discussion about this going on in any of them yeah yeah which so, makes so it difficult of, because it's part and parcel of our work right right so you're missing whole 
whole categories for your work and how you fill the gap in is personal preference. Well, I just don't like it. It's not doing it for me. The hilarity is what you're appealing to the ontology of the thing and you're saying it should be doing something, but based on what? It's mechanics. I mean, see, so when you don't have those categories, what do you appeal to? Preference. Yeah. So it, it pulls the value of the statement away. It doesn't enable the work to improve or the artist to grow and it's left in subjectivity. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, the one thing that preference does that's very uh, helpful is it creates a very efficient process where you get to be the artist and the audience yeah. and you don't have to deal with anybody else. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. outside of that, preference doesn't do a whole lot for us. Right. Unless it's, I think, um, you know, educated or informed by yeah. some of these categories you're talking about. Because yeah. I can have a preference for how my composition looks. Yeah. Nobody's denying that. Right. I can have a preference for the style. I can have yeah. a preference for this, that, and the other. But it doesn't mean that I get to... Uh, eviscerate all of this stuff yep. purely for preference. That's right. And so then that gets back into the seismology question. You're one of the first seismologists from, from the last episode. Mm-hmm. You're one of the first, you're like the first seismologist to test the work, ideally. Yeah. And so so then when you have intentions for making a watch, the goal, a good watch will tell time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've passed the first level. Now is it a timepiece made with materials? Is it com- How is it composed? Like, it's composed well enough to meet its basic requirements. Does it go beyond that? What does it look like? What's the appearance? What's the aesthetic? What's the material? Um, these other factors starts to starts to uh, move this up the Richter scale to where on the streets people are wearing it. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so so it's the same with the painting. Like, and this this will save you agony when someone else doesn't like your work, but it actually fulfills everything you determined to do for it. Then you can ask the question: How can this work? measure up but in order for it to measure up you have to concede that there's other work that you can notice notice are actually measurably more successful at similar outcomes to what the work aspires to be or what Mm -hmm. you want it to be Mm -hmm. that's a freeing conversation because now you're able to say i made a good work and it's exposing where it falls short and i need to seek out people that can help me or i need to just do it myself like a detect what do I need to work on? Mm-hmm. That becomes helpful because now we can talk about your skills uh, in achieving desired compositions and effects and images mm-hmm. uh, for certain outcomes, for certain affects, the, for, for certain results that impress themselves upon people in such a way that they, they come away generally feeling X, Y, and Z, Yeah, which is a real possibility, actually. Real work does that. Mm-hmm. Kehinde Wiley's giant paintings are giant for a reason. Right. You feel a certain way when you're around them. It's not by accident. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not just the image, although the image it potently drives home the effects. So this is just true. Of like um, uh, Monet's water lilies. Like mm-hmm. it, like you Gosh, just keep yes. looking at. Yeah, you keep looking at stuff. Doesn't you don't get it in the book necessarily, but you see it in person. All of a sudden, you're like, it's jarring. It's, yeah, it's jarring. It's hitting you in the chest, so to speak. It bypasses the mind. It gets kind of to the heart a little bit and and you feel some kind of way about it and you have to muse the feeling. Mm-hmm. You have to grasp the language later to kind of start to become sensible about the feeling you experienced. That's what we do. We're meaning makers. Mm-hmm. And so we're meaning as culture makers, we're meaning facilitators. I'm facilitating this into your field of vision so that you might have a meaningful experience. That's what we mean by that. Yeah. Um, and uh, And so there's a redundancy to this but there's an intensity of, of specificity that gives way to greater clarity and appreciation and empowerment 
uh, as far as being a, a, a painter. I, mean, I was going to say, but there's also a redundancy to, you know, batting practice. There's Correct. a redundancy to pulling weeds. Uh, there's a redundancy to, uh, you know, texting your friends, right? There's yeah. a redundancy to these yeah, things that always. actually create real depth. Redundancy to, my favorite one is eating, man. I love to eat. <laughs> Super redundant. 40, 44 years in, and I'm still struggling with eating too much because I love it, and it's grossly redundant, but I still do it, and it does not stop me. And I think when you think of art in those terms, it has way more longevity. If you think of it as ultimate, like it's supposed to save the world, and, and kind of explain the deepest truths about who we are, it tends to buckle under that kind of ultimate pressure. Most yeah. things do. But if I see it as uh, uh, at least starting as an ordinary satiating component to the way in which we exist, that still gives it room to become a Mount Everest experience. Man, uh, I, I love that you brought like the, the, the eating and food aspect. Cause I think that's the, the, that hits so well this point about the pervasiveness, but not the ultimateness, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can, there is no meal I can create that will tide me over from That's now right. till forever, you know, whenever I'm done. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that food is inadequate. Yeah. It means that it actually is so necessary and so uh, meaningful and in portioned, the life that we have. And portioned to our frame. Mm-hmm. That there's it's, a constancy. Yeah. That overestimation meal. of self we've talked about when brought into focus allows us to have a scaled relationship to the things that we're looking at. Yeah. And, and, and then you're not disappointed. Yeah. I mean, you apply that metaphor to art and, uh, you should be, you know, scrambling to get to the museum as soon as it opens. Totally. Right. I, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, for real, I need to, I think my, my daughter has been chomping at the bit to yeah, get back I'm to dying, the museum man. too. I, I miss it so much. Um, you know, sculpture gardens are great and I'm happy yeah. to take them as we can, but, yep. um, you know, let's, yeah, let's get some air conditioned yeah, galleries. And, and you'll, you know, then you get into craft and, um, I mean, there's so much more. I mean, that, I just gave you like the elevator pitch. Well, I think one thing I, uh, I, I also want to relate this back to um, is, you know, we've talked before uh, and many people, whether they've been students or listeners or, or artists we know, have spoken to kind of being a little disgruntled with the state of critique, mm-hmm. um, whether it's within school or professional life or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And these categories are really helpful uh, because any critique I feel like that are engaging me in these categories, mm-hmm. I am able to, se- to separate that, like yeah. taking it personal. Yep. Um, that tends to be the caustic nature of a lot of core critiques. Yeah, you don't have to. So it deep. So it. So here's the great thing: it renders a looker intimate to the work while depersonalizing to an enough of a place that I'm not necessarily offending you when we talk about it. Yeah, because if I'm not busting on preference, then I'm not busting on skill. That's which right. Which means I can critique at any level, regardless yeah, of who you are. Right. I could critique my six-year-old yeah. or my 106-year-old neighbor. Yep, and I can talk about how the work is working in a way that uh, appropriately esteems in mm-hmm. proportion to the, the maker or exceeds their expectations to where they can really receive it and go, wow, you're, I'm seeing now what you're seeing, and that's that's exciting to me. I feel galvanized to go back in and press in further. When you're able to get to that place, it's much easier to then say, okay, here's the things that I see I'm pointing to in front of your eyes in a set of witnesses that we all see it, and we're saying, you know, this is what it is. And what's really fun is when you're, you're not, you're stumped, and you have to speculate, and you got to come back to it. I mean, I've come back to works over and over again, and you're like, if a work of art's not worth coming back to, What's the point? Mm-hmm. So I'm not upset if I can't fully solve it in a in a studio visit because I'm not make. Uh, I like leftovers as much as the meal the first time I eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes leftovers suck. Well, you know, <laughs> but sometimes it's exciting to go. Oh my gosh, there's more. Yeah. 
I get to, I, it's it's so consumable that I, I can't consume it all in one one sitting. I'm gonna have to come honestly, back to it. like uh, I've always preferred cold pizza the next day. To Love the it. fresh stuff, dude. It's, it's it's part of the deal on the front end. I'm yeah. like I know I'm getting cold. I want to go back to it. Hundred um, percent. So Las Meninas, Velasquez, that painting. I have I have critiqued more hours and discussed more hours of my life than probably any other painting. Hmm. Just it, it kind of like as I think about it right now, and I'll probably talk about it a lot more in the future. Just to say that. It doesn't tire of being talked about. It is buoyant. It holds up, and it continues to uh, bear evidence to, I think, what we love the most about art, you know, possibly. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just the the, the semiotics and the uh, class system. And I'm not talking about that that kind of cultural communication. I'm saying that which lies just underneath of that, mm-hmm. all the interiority of the of the work itself, the inscape, if you will, of the painting. Yeah, um, that informs the outscape, the the impact it has on us, the affective way it uh, uh, makes us feel enjoined to the legibility of the semiotics, the way that the the meaning is transferred in terms of the manner of the images and the referential world and context that that work was made in. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that may dull out to my senses because I don't live in that time and place, but um, underneath that is a very robust painting. Um, and that's all fascinating. Like, yeah, I, I love being a part of a history, a messy history, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and it's, it's really nice because it takes those personal works and it creates intimate interpersonal like relationship yeah. with the work yeah. because they, you have, I mean, it's like anything else. Like why do you have the best friends that you have? You have it because there are mo- points of commonality that you can talk about and yeah. build around. Yep. And so the relationships comes out of that with other humans. So why wouldn't it come out of that with pieces of art, with mm-hmm. things that have been designed, with furniture, with spaces, with parks, Correct. right? There's, uh, but I think, you know, even going a step further with this, not only does this help us to dive in and critique more aptly, um, but it allows us to not require the group critique as we move into a career that might be largely independent That's right. of that community. Yeah, 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 yeah. So where we may not have the access to the community that we did in art school mm-hmm. always, um, this gives us a set of categories where we can look at it almost as an objective third party and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah, I, now I see why this was stumping me for the last week. That's right this part's kind of breaking down and it's actually working against what I, you know, you know, the effects are busting up my composition. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a very helpful thing as well because yeah. it, it helps us to not feel quite as alone in yeah. our studio. It also gives you, uh, 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 categories that are a little more transcendent to, they supersede the context a little bit. So you can, you can make quietly against the backdrop of changing times mm-hmm. and because things are rapidly changing. It's hard to respond always in a way it's meaningful. And so sometimes you have to percolate, you have to, you know, there's great ways that people are responding right now. I could do a whole episode on graffiti and the expediency of the expression and how that's effective at communicating, which we're seeing a lot of. Um, uh, but if you're not participating in that exact way, um, you know, these things kind of undergird so much of what's happening because we can observe it past tense and we can anticipate it in the future. Just go make a painting and then you'll see that in the future that painting was made in confirmation of what we're talking about. So there is a way in which it transcends, lowercase transcends um, the past and the present. It, it, it tends to uh, stay with us because uh, we are, you know, uh, when the only thing you can do and some do is to undo the orderliness of the world to such an extent that it's pure chaos and then call that new composition. Hmm. But I would call that, and this is, you know, I would call it decomposition. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, in an emperor's new clothes kind of way. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, and, and I think to that point, I think one thing that some people might, uh, hearing this, uh, kind of feel uncomfortable with is they might say, oh, well, what you've done is you've now set up metrics. Yeah. And so now you're making art prescriptive. That's right. And it's all so uh, gross and linear now. And yeah. you've ruined uh, yeah. a lot of the expressive personal yeah. nature. And I would say, um, are you less of a person because you have a circulatory system and so do I? Yeah. Going back to your metaphor yeah, yeah, yeah. earlier. Yep. You know, are you are you less of an individual? Are you le- Do you have less ability to be who you are yeah. because we have the same internal organs? Is the meal Is the meal less a meal because you cooked it? Yeah. You know, because you followed certain rules and you used a certain pan and you, you baked it the way you did, is the cake less expressive? Or are these uh, uh, complementary or necessary aspects of what it means to create? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a reason that you and I could have uh, a conversation just as long as this one on who has the best hamburger in town. Correct. Because of the ability to take the kind of raw ingredients and parts and make things that are mm-hmm. definitely specifically different from one another. Yeah. 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 So um, I wanted to put that in there because I know that, yeah, that that's you right. know, a lot of yeah, folks say, may have that bristling. And do send us questions because your questions actually help us focus our thoughts. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of fruit that can come from. We had somebody write to us and say the last podcast was very helpful to them because it pertained directly to where they're at. And um, uh, that can only happen because we're, you know, we're because we're speaking a lot of times with where we're at, which we've always shared. Right. Um, and so, um uh, we also want to be able to meet people where they're at, but we only can do that if you email us. So yeah. thank you for, we've had some messages recently, which is super encouraging and helpful. So if makers, if you have questions, you know, if we can take a jab at it, we will, if we can't, you know, we won't, but we'll let you know. Um, or we'll try to, it'll just, it'll mean that, Oh, we get to learn something new, which yeah. we want to yeah. do, you know, as part of the journey. And so, um, if you're hearing this and you're provoked and you have questions, please send them in. That's going to help continue the conversation. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, Honestly, like we, we do this because y'all uh, are out there. So yeah. the more we can learn about um, the things that are most important to you. I mean, Ryan and I are having our conversations anyway. Yeah, um, we're always talking so, about stuff. So. so we're happy to have these that are specific to what uh, our audience is really wanting. Um, but I think it's been really helpful, uh, given some really good categories. I think we've gotten a lot of categories um, within uh, this episode and the last one. And I think, you know, if, if this moves into a third part, I think there's some ways to kind of uh, use those categories to mm-hmm. build a really fertile space yep. to start encouraging a lot of work moving out of that. Mm-hmm. So thank you all again. As always, we love you all and your fantastic audience, and we'll check you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life, an historic Shaco bottle.